0: It's my privilege to bring to you the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bible, and you should have your Bibles, uh, open to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two. We're gonna have a selective passages this morning. And the topic of our discussion and our sermon, my sermon today, is a womanhood. What is beautiful womanhood? What it was God's original design for a woman it's interesting that the world teaches about women all sorts of things and here's how culture imposing on our daughters on single ladies on wives and moms uh, this ideology what is beautiful and powerful women look like I'll read you a couple of. Sentences, a couple of uh, quotes from different people, which I found in an article by Sharon Dickens. For instance, Emmy Pollard, actress who says, A bossy woman is someone to search out and celebrate. This is what we're impressed with women to be a bossy woman. Elizabeth Taylor, many of you know, she's been around for a long time, since 1930s. She said, pour yourself a drink, put some lipsticks on, and put yourself together. This is how you become a woman. Some anonymous says, it is hard to be a woman. You just think like a man, act like a lady, look like a young girl, and work like a horse. Don't know about that. Or top it all, Beyonce, she said, we need to re- reshape our own Perception of how we view ourselves. We have to step up as women and take the lead. Encouraging words from the world. But I agree with an article that I read, uh, a Christian article, that uh, says that womanhood needs to be defined again. Defined, biblically defined. And it says, for too long it has been defined by men the media, and advertisement. That's how we come across and uh, to know what is to be a woman. If we do not help girls define womanhood, I continue to quote, they will be defined. Older women who matter, matter to girls should be a part of teaching the skills to survive successfully in our culture as women. Now every person asks this question Yourself, himself, who am I? Where did I come from at some point? What is my purpose? And what's going to happen to me? Where I'm going? And for the womanhood to discover what true and beautiful and powerful woman is, we have to look nowhere else but into the scripture, to the inspired word of God where he defines it. He defines it. And we find positive answers to all these questions. Questions that can only be answered in the relationship to our God. They're not found somewhere outside of God, but found in God. The answer for our manliness and and, uh, womenliness, if that's such a word, I'm not sure. Maybe I come up with something but it founds in, not in our understanding of your sexuality or in your ideology around the scripture, but in scripture in relationship to your God. And as we read this passage, this is what I want us to come out with. I want to encourage women this morning, and for that matter men too, what is Christian woman? A Christian woman, embraces God's design to be man's helper and empowered by the glorious gospel to propagate God's glory. Or say it otherwise, Christian woman trusts God, how he designed her to be a helper to a man and finds her power to fulfill the purpose in a glorious gospel. Or put it another way, a Christian woman is pleasing to God when she is embracing the role of helpmate and companion to men in appropriate relationships and find the solution and strength in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first point is the Christian woman embraces God's design to be man's helper. Let's read in our main, main topic and the main, it derived from verse 18 in chapter 2. We'll read 18 to 25, but, but we're going to go around this passage, but this is our pillar. This is where we land. Chapter 2, verse 18, Genesis reads this, then the God, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the garden the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man so to see what he would call them and whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. For, But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon a man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It is an interesting thing that this passage probably read by all of you and by most Christians the most in your lifetime, because every Probably January at your resolution trying to catch up with your Bible reading, you go to this passage and you, stream, you, know, you just like uh, run through and spring through the Genesis and then you die somewhere in the woods of Numbers. But at least you're familiar with this passage. You're very well familiar with this. And the point of this that I want to make, uh, make and to, to, uh, to expound from this text is that It is a glorious thing to be a woman. And it stops off to be a mother. And you have to embrace it as something worthy. And you don't need any redefinitions upon this point. Glorious destiny for every woman is to empower a man to pursue God's glory. This is worth living for. You see, I want to point out you have an outline that a woman has to embrace her dignity because it was given to her by God. You know, in order to understand your destiny and your, and you understand your design and to, you need to value what God gave it to you. And I want to make three sub points that in this, in this point that Christ, that God makes a woman as she is, and it's very glorious because it is, he assigned dignity to her, equal dignity. It's interesting that throughout the ages, whatever people would say, but throughout the ages, the Christian fathers always ascribe equality for both men and women in a sense of spirituality and their value in God's eyes. And women need to know that, that they are not second-class people. They are at the same level with men. We see equality and dignity both in women, men and women. It, God prescribes and, and ascribes the worth to humanity. What do we see that? If you flip back or you're on the same page, we see that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, this is when God ascribes the worth to anyone, and especially to a human, humanity. We read this, then God said, let us make man in our image. It's an interesting thing that when God created the whole thing, he didn't consult anyone. He just did it. He just did on all six days. He just created whatever he created, and it was all good. But when God is upon creating a humanity and he said, let us create in our image, he consults with himself. The idea of Trinity comes here the first time, in relation to creation of man. And he said, let us create according to our likeness. He said God said, let us make a man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. You cannot miss this. God ascribes the worth and the value and the dignity to humanity. He created both equally men and women. It's interesting that this dignity today is lost. Tim mentioned in the prayer that we have this, this uproar right now that many people are going against this possible ruling, and including women for the rights to kill the babies in the womb. Today, as we speak, people gather in San Jose, California, in Kansas City, and yesterday in Houston and Chicago to protest and to demand the right for women to kill the babies. You see, our dignity, our values, does not come from our understanding or our development. We didn't come from the primates, God created us. He created us as sons and daughters. And when we lost this dignity in Adam, he sent his son to restore this image in us so that we become again like him. Men and women created in the same dignity and it was the same value to represent God. So dear women, moms, sisters, don't let anyone tell you because if you don't look good, you're not worthy. Or if you don't have stuff like the world tells you to have, that you're not worthy. You are worthy because God said you are. We don't earn our dignity. Dignity is given by God. We don't come as a creation. We don't... uh, to God and say, let us earn this dignity. He just said, I'll set you all apart from all the primates. You're not made from amoeba into a person. You made a person. You've been made a person. You've been put above all creation as an image bearer of God. And so this dignity and this value in moms and sisters and any woman comes from God. Don't let anybody tell you Otherwise, we're equally created in the image of God. God said, let us create man, and man and woman he created. Interesting thing that another part of the dignity that comes is that God created man in his image. And when we think about what is this image of God, how do we bear it? You know, many discussion and ink spilled on explanation. What does it mean to be bearer of God's image? You know, we have intellect that set us apart from the animal kingdom. We have the will set us apart from all the creatures except angels. We have ability to worship God, but angels could do that too. And so there's many factors plays in that we reflect. We're able to love God, to relate to God to relate to one another. But the Bible clearly puts the image of God in connection to something in the text. Do you see that? As soon as God said, let us make man in our image, verse 26, according to our likeness, he said something. He said, and let them rule. The image of God reflected the most Inability to represent sovereign God. Imagine this God created the whole universe and the earth and filled it with all sorts of animals, and He said, Let us now create a representative for us so that He will be instead of us here ruling and subduing and bringing everything in subjection under our feet. Let us make a Lord, in other words. And as we exercise the lordship over the creation, we reflect the image of God. We become bearers of God's image, something that was lost at chapter three really quickly. But this is the sovereignty, the most God-like attribute. God shared it with us, and he said, both of you, men and women, bear this image. It's interesting, ruler of all creation. So it's amazing how God trusts this position to a man who just was formed out of the dust. It reminds me, or or just kind of make me think, like it's something would be equivalent for a five-year-old to become a manager over the candy factory. Right? What would he do? What would he expect to do? He would be managing really well or just stuffing and eating. And so it's, a, it's an amazing trust that God gives to humanity to represent his sovereignty. There's trust. There's vulnerability. And God got made this choice knowing what's going to happen. And yet he does it too. Still. So this equality, this dignity comes from the image of God. But also it says... Equally, we share the blessings of God, men and women. It doesn't matter. God blessed them. It says God blessed them. And his blessing comes from in two parts. Like they would be multiplying, bless them to multiply, and bless them to rule. They also have the same responsibility to God. God will hold accountable men and women. He doesn't hold accountable cat. Like the other day, cat killed our little bunny and we were very angry, and we were giving them lectures, but it doesn't matter, because God will not hold accountable the cat, because he doesn't care. He was not given the accountability, but men and women are, and so we are on this this God's image, bearers of his sovereignty, we have the responsibility to reflect and to react and to worship him in a different level than anybody in the universe. And fourthly, how we share this dignity because God, after we lost and sinned, he sent his son and he said, you equally needed grace. Equally need grace. You know, here's where discrimination is not allowed. In the church. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew, nor Greek, there's neither slave nor freeman, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In the church, relating to the gospel, there's no matter that your sexuality does not matter. It's irrelevant to your qualifications to be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ because what you are is being. Losing dignity and sinning and God saving you by the grace of Jesus Christ. So now we don't have inferiority between men and women in the church in that aspect. God calls women fellow heirs of grace of life. So it is a lesson for us men that when we think about women, we're often prone to think that they are second class citizens. I mean, admit it. We think that they have, they have this sickness once a month. They have this weakness. They have and all sorts of things that we just kind of tend to put women down. But in their dignity, they're no different. We're on the same level, given the same assignment to represent God's sovereignty. To sum up, man was created as royalty in God's world. Male and female are alike, bearing the divine glory equally women as well as men are given the intrinsic value to bear the image of God. However, and you knew that this however coming, right? However, the equality of the glory of God and the grace of God has nothing to do with the different functionality in the world. This functionality, it penetrates every aspect of life. The world, the family, and the church we're going to spend a little bit of time on this, on women's destiny or women's purpose and their functionality. And at this moment, I'm afraid that I lost half of my congregation right now because probably, women, you have this tendency to say, well, not another lesson about submission. It's a Mother's Day. What are you talking about? We live free in the world now. It's just an echo from the patriarch before. We're not living under husband's tyranny anymore. We are equal. Didn't you just say that we're equal a few minutes ago? Women and men are sharing equal responsibility and we're functioning the same. We could lead one another. We could fly to the moon and do anything we want. But I won't be so fast to go there because scripture does not allow, let us not be affected by the world except in the lie that totally destroyed the world order. Totally destroyed the world order. It's not male's idea. It's not our desire to put women under subjection. Keep them, as they say, barefoot and pregnant all the time. This is the glorious thing. When we are functioning well, we bring the glory of God to this world. It's interesting. When you were driving here today in your car, the last thing you would want, that your wheels would do the same thing as your steering wheel or as your your engine, right? We have different things, different functionality. If your wheels or the engine, everything would be engine, we would not go anywhere. If everything would be wheels, you're not be able to come here. So we have different functionality. And so the woman's destiny, the second point here, and the first is to be a man's helpmate. While men and women are created equally in the image of God and have equal value and dignity, they nevertheless are different. Very different. I mean, not only physiologically. You know, psychologically, in every other way. I like how Elizabeth Elliot asked this question. She said, "Are men and women are equal?" And and she said, "What it it depends what you mean by equality." And she asked this question: Is color red is equal to color blue? And you say, "Well, yeah." It's equality only lays in the label of that they're both are colors. But on every other aspect, they're very, very different. Is temperature cold and temperature hot are equal? Well, they are equal and the same. That they're both temperature. But on the other hand, they're completely different. Let me read you a couple of points of, you know, it was kind of amusing for me to read and fascinated to kind of see myself in these points, how different we are, men and women. Uh, This article by Bill Farrell and Pam Farrell, God designed men and women to be different in many ways. They said this, we find these differences fascinating. We have included below a list of ways that men and women approach life differently. Read through the list and see how many of them apply to your relationship. For instance, men are more aggressive than women when they drive sports cars and light trucks. Women are more aggressive than men when they drive SUVs or luxury cars. Women are less likely to be caught and convicted of speeding than men. True. Men When men perform as well as they expected at the particular task, this is how they think. They tend to attribute their success to their own skill and intelligence. If they perform below their expectations, however, they tend to blame bad luck or some factors that is out of their control. When women meet their low expectations, they tend to attribute it to their lack of ability or intelligence. When women exceed their low prediction for achievement, they tend to attribute it to good luck or to some other factors beyond their control. That's way different, how we think. Men are willing to take greater financial risks than women. Within relationship, women resolve to -to day-to-day issues you know, and men settle on a life-changing disputes. You know, you could hear what women and men are talking about. Men are talking about grand things and or sport, and women talking about day-to-day uh, issues. Women ask more questions, and men interrupt more in the conversation. I mean, maybe some of it hit home, but we are. Different, absolutely, but we're designed differently for different purposes and functionality. And that's what God says. He said, let God, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So there's a quality as it suits a man, but there's also a distinction because a man could not find a friend suitable for him in whole realm of animal kingdom. But when you become, when you grasp the understanding that you're a helper, here's how you could help a man. And I wanna be kinda practical with us. The first thing that a woman should do, helping men, to be a man actually, is to affirm his manliness, is to affirm his position. I cannot stress it more. Because God affirms God, man's position. We'll see that in a moment. God affirms man's position, and God expects that women would agree. You don't want to fight with God. If God said something, that man is the head, then we should follow. It's not a matter of man making a subjection, women. It's not, it's not about that. It's about position. An affirmation of this position is a great help to, to, to every man. And it goes beyond the scope of just a family. The primary task of men is to reflect God's image. That's a grand task. And he creates woman to help him to do so. And when she said you can't, it shatters all things. This point derives from here, but also from all the scripture that Adam is the head, a representative of the humanity. This is how God treats man. The humanity is Adamic humanity, not Adamic and Eve humanity. It's in Adam that we all died. It's Adam that God holds accountable. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, we read, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Notice that he doesn't say husband and wife here. He's just generally speaking about men and women. In general, this is the creation order. This is generally how God assigned roles to men to be a leader, a king, a prophet, a priest. If you look through the scripture, a long-life priest were always men. They were occasionally popping up because of the lack of priesthood, women priests, but it is men's responsibility. The first 12 disciples were men. God sent his son, not his daughter. And God the Father himself appears to us in Scripture scripture like father, not like a mother. So there is a manliness established of the leadership. It says, for as in Adam all die, not in Eve, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And in an order we see in chapter 2 here, if you're still with me, in verses seven to eight, that we see that God placed man as a head by creating him first. This is undisputable thing. God created first uh, man. And, and it says verse seven, it says, then the God, the Lord God formed men of dust from the ground. Well, this is a wrong accent actually. The Lord God formed men of dust from the ground. Not the men of dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living thing. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. At this moment, Eve was not around. God created a man. Adam was created first. In 1 Timothy 2, 12 to 13, emphasizes this point, says, but I do not allow a woman to teach and exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was created first, and then Eve. God makes it a big deal of it. I put man in a position, that's his responsibility, and I assign him work. In Genesis 2.15, we see that God gave man work without Eve. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. You know, my idea of Garden of Eden is just a pleasure and just sitting in the palm trees, and maybe there's like a river or something. And but he placed man to work. And God gave man his word. In verse 16 to 17 of chapter 2, he says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, he didn't say to Eve yet, but he addresses man as representative of all humankind. And he said, this is what you do. You are image bearer. This is what you do. From any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for it in that day you eat from it, you will surely die. It is so interesting that God is saying, you're not going to live by the bread alone here basically, but by trusting in me. And he addresses man. He also give him his work. He give him his word. He give him the right to name all the animals, right? And at the end, he named Eve as well when God brought out of him because he said she took, she was taken out of me and he called her Isha. Out of men, and then later on in chapter four, verse twenty, he called Eve Eve because at that moment she was just a woman. And at chapter twelve, after the after the fall, he called him called his wife name wife's name Eve because she was mother mother of all living. So we see that it was a man's job established by God and affirmed by God, and he won't expect when he brings a helper that we don't compete about this role anymore. Why are we competing? Who's helping what, whom? The question is, who is helping whom in the process of bringing everything in subjection of God? It's not men helping women to, to clean the dishes, which we do. But the grand scheme of things, it's a woman giving men uh, as a helper and suitable compa- comp, uh, uh, companion. And this affirmation is very, very powerful. When a woman agrees with God, she has power. When she agrees with the, with the reality, now let me speak frankly about this importance of, it, of this affirmation and effectiveness of affirmation. A Christian woman empowers men. And it goes beyond the scope just the husband and wife. If you're working at, uh, you know, for your boss man, you empower him by saying and affirming his position. Nothing is more encouraging for man than affirmation of his manliness and him as a leader. Women might think that this is a joke. You know, this is a childish. What are you talking about? Don't you wear pants? Don't you know that you're a male? No, we need to hear that. We need to be affirmed again. Not only through the scripture, but by, by the help made. Affirmation is everything. When man is affirmed, he can conquer the world literally. When he is not, he is sapped out of his confidence and even his feeling of manhood. Have you noticed how adulterous woman praises the man in chapter 7 and lures him and saying, well, you're you're it. You're it. And I tell you, if if a man does not find affirmation in the home, he's going to look for somewhere else. I mean, we're sinful creatures. She threw his ar- her arm around him, and with a brazen look, she said, I've offered my sacrifices, and I've just finished my vows. It's you I was looking for. <laughs> oh, how deep it goes into the heart of young man. With her flattery, she entices him. He followed her at once. Do you believe what God believes about man? Do you often affirm his position as a leader, or you are tearing him down? Now, in a, in a family, uh, you're tearing him down by saying, like, he can't do anything right. I mean, you're, you're, really, you're really not a good leader. That's the worst thing you could do. I mean, probably even worse thing you could do is to compare that male to some other male and just tell him, like, oh, I wish you'd be like my pastor. I wish, I mean, I, you're not like, like my pastor, but I wish you'd be like my pastor. That's the worst thing you could do, ladies. Don't do that. It just tears him down. How many people, how many brothers would seek the affirmation and 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 say something like that, I wish my wife, my wife, my, my mom or my sister would accept me with my shortcomings, with my sins, and still treat me as a leader. You know, one of the reasons men like sport is because they could be winners there. You know, we go and we win. And we're the winners. We come home and we're the losers, right? Let men be winners at home. Affirm their positions. Don't fight over it. Don't fight over it. In Proverbs 31, 22 says that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Known. I mean. I tell you, from my personal life, in a ministry, you kind of have to develop a thing, thick skin, right? People will say all sorts of things about you or about your wife or about you know, your children, and some things are right, some things are not right. But I stop waking up at night because of those comments. Tell you honestly. You know, I, I take it for the full, full value, but I used to not able to sleep because somebody says, like, I, I wish you'd be dead or something like that. And I wish you will not exist and and I would be like spending all night just how can this be? And Lord, where's my sin? But right now I just pray, I pray for those people and just late, you know, go to sleep, no problem. But if my wife says something, if she would say something even closely to that, I would lose my sleep. Actually be on the couch, sitting all night. So ladies, affirm, affirm. Now, in our passage, verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. And and as we affirm, we help him, but also we help him by giving life and nurturing. Women are helping man by giving life and nurturing. You have a special, special position as helpmate. Woman is described primarily in her relationship to to her husband or to a man. If you notice... A woman is described whether she is a wife, a daughter, adulteress, or a bride. It's relationship to her sexuality, but also to a man. Because he was designed a helpmate, suitable helper. Just a few words about the suitable. The word suitable means in the presence, in the front of. When you look at your mirror, you see something in front of you that is very like you, right? It's not you, but it's very like you. When God created a woman, he created very like man, but different, suitable, intimate. Sometimes this word means intimacy, like in Proverbs 17, 9, he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends, separate suitable friends, so there is an intimacy between husband and wife. There is an intimacy between these two genders, like no other. Friendship, companionship. Therefore, a wife is supposed to be involved in a husband's life. She is not an add-on to his life. She is his life. She is part of his life. She is close, intimate friend. Man has friends, but nobody compares to his wife. In marriage, two people are inseparable. That means sharing the same goals, the same ways how to raise children, the same way how they view the church, the same way how they do, do the ministry. They mash it up into one unit. Why? Because she is helping him to do what God told him to do. She is helping me, him to be the man that he must be. And it was Opposite to the Proverbs 7, woman, 7-11. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. She abandoned her husband. She abandoned her position, and she went looking for pleasure. She's a helper, suitable helper. And this word helper meaning ezer, ezer. You know this word aben ezer, right? The rock of help or when Samuel said to this moment Ebenezer help God helped us the stone of help and it's interesting that this Ezer help applies to God God appears to be our help God is our strength and God is our help we read in Hebrews 12:6 so we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and in the text, we see how the need for women arrived. There was crisis. God created a crisis in men's life that he couldn't complete the job. Right? He couldn't complete the job. He named all the animals. He couldn't find a suitable uh, helper. But the job was not done. And the job was to multiply and to subdue the earth. And those two, you can't do alone. And so when we think about what is this help? Applies to what is the primary role of wife to help men with? If men needed to intellectual knowledge, God would give the wife before he named the animals. But he named the animals by himself. If he needs to tilt the ground, just literally, you know, it might be better to create another Steve, not Eve, because there's more power, more strength, right? But he didn't. He didn't create a woman to go on the fields and help him with the, you know, moving furnitures and stuff. But for those two purposes, to multiply and subdue the earth, that was the main function of the woman. When you're thinking about, oh, I submit to my husband. No, it is far more than that. You're playing into the grand plan of God's design to make man as the Lord over all creation so that we subject everything and that way to God, and that way bring glory to Him. So, a woman is a helper. It doesn't mean that she is a savior of man like God, but it means that He needs her. He really needs her. He can't do the job alone, it's impossible. The idea here is not that the woman given as a slave or as a savior, but as a helper. And God is helping man through a woman. you see that? Through a woman. Interesting. This help you know shows up later on that she gave him sons and daughters and multiplying, and as we multiply the earth, we subdue it more effectively, right? The woman has to submit to man's leadership not so much because he is given direct authority over her, but because his vocation is the primary vocation and fundamental one, relating to the forming that necessarily precedes the filling in God's own creation activity. She is primarily called to nurture, to give life, and nurture, and to build. Someone said, Women by nature design to nurture, and to multiply. Multiply what she receives from men. When a man give a woman seed, she turns the seed into a baby. You give a woman a seed, she gives you back baby. When a man gives a woman a food supply, she gives him a meal. When he gives her house, she gives him back home. She multiplies, she makes it beautiful. When a man gives woman an anger, she also could multiply it and give you fury back. Right? So if you don't like what you're getting, make sure you know what you're giving. Are you helping her? Woman makes everything more beautiful for a man because she is wired differently. She is a helpmate for. Him. when we embrace our distinct roles and position given to us by God, we even love differently. We love differently, right? Although man and woman are equal, in Valley, we don't love in the same way. A man loves this way as he provides, protects, and cares. And woman doesn't love in the same way. She doesn't provide and protect. She submits and she helps and she encourages, she affirms and she receives and she multiplies and she gives life. And that's how we know that a woman loves a man. A Christian woman embraces God's design to be a man's helper. And there's a danger if we don't do that, the letter C point here, that if we don't do that, it's very dangerous because in chapter three, we see how it went down when the very fact of misplaced priorities, misplaced functionality, misplaced headship happen. I don't know if you if you know about that. It's not just about eating the fruit. That was just kind of magical fruit that they eat. It was the disobedience to God and direct order of things, the direct order from things. In chapter 126, we read that, God said, let us make a man in our image and let them put over all all things, in the sea, in the skies, and over the earth, and even that is creeping. And when the creeping thing came to a woman, the lowest of the law, it's not even a lion came to Eve, right in chapter three. It was the serpent. It was the lowest of the law of even in the animal kingdom." This is how you destroy the humanity, destroy the God's glory, is to undermine the structure and the authority. This is how you destroy it, and just in three steps. You give the authority to the lowest of the laws so that he could deceive the second in command. So now Satan takes the form of a creeping thing snake. The lower than the animal kingdom. He did not appear as a lion or elephant or a gracious animal. But he shows purposefully as the lower denominator in the animal kingdom, to make a point that a snake is in charge. Now, step two, a woman just listened to the snake now instead instead, what is supposed to be clear from from what we hear. Until this moment, what Eve know, what she observes, who is in charge, what it's appeared to be the right thing to do to come to Adam and say, "Well, I don't want to talk to that little you know talking thing. I'm not sure how it talks, but you talk to it because you in charge of protecting me. And instead she takes the role of a man to make a decision. A woman who owes her being to Adam's flesh, and a rip, instead of running to Adam consulting her about the decision, makes independent decision to obey snake instead of her hobby, Adam. You know, And the scripture says he was deceived by a serpent. And the step number three, the highest in command has to listen to the lower and chain command. Adam, the supreme ruler of all the earth, he's the supreme ruler, operating on a half brain, commits the grave sin, follow his wife. You know, in Russian, we have the the Proverbs. You listen to your wife, and you do otherwise, right? It would be a good thing to do here. I'm not saying that it's applied to every deal of life. We need companion. We need uh, guidance. But when there's undermining of the authority, this is what happens. Adam's supposed to listen and trust the voice of God. He is creator, he's instructor. And women who are equal in value, but who created to support, not to lead, he should tell her, honey, that's not how we do things here. Sin entered the world, and with sin death, all because God's order was distorted. And with the order, therefore the image of God cannot be clearly seen. Because now we can control everything, and nobody obeys us, and we have to used the iron fist. The Lordship of God was under attack. The image of God is not clearly seen. Since then, the ability to represent the sovereign Lord has been mostly lost. And only when the gospel of Jesus Christ came, with it came the hope of the restoration of the image of God and complete restoration of the whole order. So today, as we experience in the church, where we know better, we're Christians We've been saved. Let us think this way. Let us think this way. Now lastly, where does the woman, Christian woman, have the power to do so? I mean, this is a grand task for her, too. Like how is it possible? And the only power that we find is in Christ Jesus and in the gospel. In Genesis 3:15, we see this first glimpse of gospel when, under curse, woman was given grace. And it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's the first gospel in the Bible. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The things that you're participating in helping Adam to create new atoms, many atoms, it would be actually successful. I will restore that. And I will bring the Messiah who will actually crash the Satan and will restore. You know, that is a powerful thing. The gospel is the powerful thing. When we go to the gospel, we show that we reflect Christ. In Ephesians 5.2 says, Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. In order to restore, Christ gave himself up for us and we know that he loves us and sacrifice and he became a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma just a hint to you if you want to smell good ladies just follow that example and you will be fragrant aroma to God and it's not Lancome not like Versace it's, it's the humility and experience and grace of God able to love people love men in the same way and there's another powerful thing in the gospel that we find is the kindness of our God. In Titus 2 4 and 5, it says, Older women, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Isn't it amazing that this is the scope of, of the sphere and the scope of the job for a woman is to, like in the home or in society, to love and to be kind. Be sensitive, sensible, pure workers at home, kind, kindness, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God may not be dishonored. And this kindness we see in the gospel in Titus, later on, chapter 3, verse 4 says, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. It is the kindness that saves the world, and when we place in this world as a woman you're a helper affirm that a firm position of man you are helpmate companion you're suitable to do the job you're a life giver you're a nurturer you're a cultivator you're the one who will through you god will bring the restoration to the world by giving jesus christ to this world through mary it's amazing God created human beings for His glory and His good purposes for us includes our personal physical design as male and female. Being made in God's image as male and female is not a matter of our own autonomous preferences. Rather, it is a part of God's beautiful design and plan. This is what God designed for you. Happy Mother's Day. It's not our invention, it's God's invention. And a woman will be beautiful and happy, truly happy when she would accept her position as God sees her. May God bless you. Father God, we thank you for your kindness toward us. It is in the gospel that we find the power. Adam proved, together with Eve, that the task to represent you was too grand, too big. It's impossible. Apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, apart from the empowering spirit who constantly tells us about the blood of Christ, about our worth, we are unable. And so today, We want to celebrate mothers. We want to celebrate the womanhood because it is your design and you have done this and you will restore it to the original design how it was and you would place us back on the top of the world not because we have accomplished it but because you have done this and we praise you. In the meantime, help us to be encouraged to strive and to be changed by you day after day may you bless our mothers In Christ's name we pray amen